after Easter. First uh, John chapter 5. John is a book that is written so that you may know that you have eternal life. There are faith traditions, there are religions, there are beliefs out there that you cannot know for sure that you possess heaven. And John writes this book to say otherwise. And John says, I'm going to tell you what a real Christian looks like. And so he spends this entire book talking about the idea that if you say this, then you need to do this. If you say that you love God, then you better love other people. If you say that you love God, you better hate sin. If you say that you have fellowship with God, then you don't need to be walking in darkness. Over and over again, he says, there are certain things that come. And so uh, we're going to look this morning at one of the ones that I think we minimize the most. And we're going to look at a very difficult passage, but um, I'll help you through it, and then uh, you can uh, have a better understanding of it as well. So First John chapter 5, here's what it says. Uh, I write these things to you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, and that's an important word in First John, that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we can have what we've asked of him. John says here, look, you know, not only can you have the assurance of salvation, but you can have the assurance and the confidence that when you go to God in prayer, you're going to get what you ask for. God says that's, that, that's the way it works. He said you can have that kind of assurance. You can have that kind of confidence. If you think about it for a minute, we live in a culture in which if you were to try to get a hold, if you were to drive or fly to Washington, D.C. and try to get the ear of representatives and congressmen and, and maybe even the president, it's almost impossible. Um, people pay thousands and thousands of dollars to be at a dinner in which the president's even present. And yet you and I have confidence and the boldness and the ability that at any moment, at any time, we're going to walk into the presence of the creator of the universe. And that he hears us, and that he answers us. And so John says, that's the kind of confidence. We're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the Easter story. But one of the things that the Easter story gives, gives us is access to God. And it was something that no Jew understood or had the ability to do until the cross. And so John here says, you have that kind of thing. And then he goes on, he says, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. There is a sin which does not lead to death. Now, this is the part that gets all confusing. And some of you may have heard this passage referred to as the unpardonable sin. You've been a Christian any length of time, somebody has cornered you at some point and said, what is the unpardonable sin? All right? So we're going to wrestle with that a little bit. That's not the focus of the passage, but we are going to walk through it today. So let's start with the first part first. He said, these things right to believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, look, first of all, you need to understand this. Eternal life, salvation with God is something you can know. Just like you know that you are sitting here today, you can know that when your heart beats the last time, you take your last breath, you are ushered into the presence of God. As Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You can know that. You can have that kind of confidence. You go, yeah, but what about all the stuff I've done? You can have that kind of confidence. That's what he says. You can know. 
And then he goes on to say this. This is the confidence that we have. In fact, let me tell you something else you can have confidence in. You can have confidence that you can approach God and ask anything according to his will, and he hears you. And not only that, he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we, what, we, what we have asked of him. In other words, he says, listen, not only that, but God will answer your prayer. Now, I like what one commentator said about this. He said, when we pray as believers in the will of God, he said, the only issue before God is timing. It's when God will answer, not if God will answer. And he said, that's the kind of kind. Now you're going to wait a minute, Pastor. There's stuff I've prayed for in the past, and I haven't gotten it. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. God's not a genie in a bottle. God's not one of those things where you go, okay, now, Lord, I need transportation. So, Lord, I need you to provide for me a transportation. And, God, you know, the 2015s are coming out in a couple of months. And I really don't want the 2014 version because that would be old. I want to buy the 2015 version. So, God, I need you to supply me the 2015 version of that car. Uh, James says when we pray, we don't pray consuming upon our lusts. Um. That means you want the 2015 version, not the 2014. It's the idea of, no, he, he, he prefaces this by saying this, according to God's will. So in other words, it, it has to be the Lord's will. You say, are you saying I should never pray for stuff that I want, that I don't want? No, no, pray for what you want, but always pray according to God's will be done, not yours. Is that not, we're, we're heading into... This is Palm Sunday where, you know, they did the Hosanna thing and the palm branches and everybody shouted his praises. By the end of the week, they're shouting crucify him. But one of the things that happens during this, this week, this Passion Week of Christ, is Jesus is going to go into the garden and he's going to ask for what he wants. But he's going to preface it with, not my will, but yours be done. God, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. That's what I want. But not my will but your will be done. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a caveat here about this idea of I pray in accordance with God's will. And he says, you have this confidence that, look, when you do that, you know what? He's going to answer that way. He's going to answer. And so John talks about this idea. That's what you need to keep in mind. You and I have that kind of confidence. We have that confidence at any time, at any moment, no matter what we're facing, I can step into the presence of God and I, I can ask for him to work as only he can. Now, he tackles this next passage, which this sin unto death thing, and so let me give you a couple of guidelines. There are two things you have to figure out to make sense of this. Number one, what kind of death is talked about? Spiritual death or physical death? And number two, is this talking to believers or unbelievers? So, there are three main ideas behind this. Let me walk through them real quick, and then I'll tell you why I like the one I like and why it really doesn't make any difference. But anyway, here's the first. The first, the first approach to this is the sin unto death is what is known as a mortal sin. Um, there are some faiths. Some of you came from a Roman Catholic background. Roman Catholic uh, belief is <clears throat> that sin's classified into mortal and, and venial, that there's two groups of sin. Sin unto death would be a mortal sin. It would be something that falls into that category, like... And, 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 and people who believe that 
the sin unto death is a specific sin. What they would say is suicide is a sin unto death. It's a sin for which you cannot be forgiven. They would say uh, murder is a, is a mortal sin. It's a sin unto death that you cannot be forgiven. Um, they would say, um, uh, in, in some people, adultery is a mortal sin. And they would, they would put them in the categories, and they would say, the sin unto death is a specific sin that someone commits. Okay? The second view says, um, and, and by the way, a specific sin can be committed in, in that view by either a believer or an unbeliever. It doesn't matter. The second view says this idea is only unbelievers can commit this sin. So the second view would say this. It would say this sin is committed only by unbelievers and is a sin in which there is no forgiveness, so to speak. It is spiritual death. It is this person is lost and there's no hope of saving them. People who hold this view often refer to this person as um, an apostate or a heretic. They go to Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10, and they say, okay, what this is, is this is a person who um, knew the truth but rejected it. It's not a person who just doesn't want anything to do with God. This is a person who knows the Bible, teaches the Bible, embraced the Bible. They would say this is a person like Judas who knew everything but had never accepted it and committed the sin unto death um, and is lost. Uh, they would say that, that, the, uh, that the Pharisees that Christ referred to um, as um, that, that they were lost to that point. This would be somebody who knows the truth but rejects it. You could make an argument for that in the book of 1 John because John is talking about false teachers in this book who are teaching that Jesus is not God. The Gnostics who are saying Jesus was not God, who knew the truth but were rejecting it. And so it might be those are the people that, that he's addressing, that unbelievers who have turned away and rejected God's truth. The third view is that this is a believer. And it is not spiritual death, it is physical death. And they would say that what he is saying here is that there are believers out there who, this is getting a little tricky here, it's believers who have committed a sin that the sin is forgiven, as far as eternal death, but not physical death. Example, remember the story of Moses? When Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it and then turned around and said, we, we delivered you, claiming to be with God on this one, that God and I delivered you. Uh, and God said, look, because you did that, you're going to die in the land, you're not going to go into promised land. In essence, what John would be saying is, okay, don't pray you're wasting your time praying for God to change his mind on Moses. It's a done deal. Uh, he would, some would argue that, in, and I'm, we're going to look at this in communion this morning, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says that there are some that are weak and sickly among you and some have even sleep or some have died. It was the idea they were abusing the Lord's table so much and they were doing so much damage to the testimony of Christ that God took them home. Okay. Uh, some people would, uh, example of this type of thing would be, uh, you remember the story of Achan in the Bible? 
and where, where he stole and he buried the, the, the gold in his tent. And then Jericho, before Jericho, and they came in and they found him and it came down to him and they killed him and all of his family. That was a sin unto death, a physical death. Um, or Ananias and Sapphira, who were believers, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. And when they came and they stood at the door and they died right then and there, that it was a sin unto death. Some people would interpret this passage as, okay, this is about believers who have so marred their testimony and the testimony of Christ that God has shifted from um, di- God has shifted from His grace and His mercy to judgment, and He's trying to get them to repent. And the idea is, don't pray for them to deli- to be delivered from the judgment. You pray that they be changed. So, so I would say it this way. Um, the idea here is that, um, I, I'm going to go to the passage of Corinthians. Let me tell you how I interpret it, okay? And I've done this. It's going to scare the life out of some of you, but just, I, I don't do it very often, but I have done it. I'm going to be honest with you. I have done it. Um, I know people who are blatantly ignoring the commands of God and living in sin. Blatantly. Publicly. I'm not talking about privately. I'm talking about publicly, blatantly, just, I don't care about God, da-da-da-da-da. And I've, I, I have those people on my prayer list. And then I've had people come to me and say, hey, pray for so-and-so because they're going through a really difficult time health-wise right now. And I'm going, now wait a minute, I know what 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians says sometimes God does that in order to get their attention. And these people come to me and they say, hey, well, look, will you put them on your prayer list and will you pray for God's healing in their life? And I'm like, you know, I'll pray for them. And my prayer goes something like this, dear God, I love them, and I know you love them. I don't know if it's the best thing for them to get over this or not. I don't know, God, that I can genuinely pray for your healing here. I want to pray for your will to be done, and I want you to accomplish your your work in their life. And God, if this is what it's going to take, then so be it, Lord. But I'm not praying, Lord, uh, take away the pain, take away the struggle, take away the heartache. Because that might be what God's using to drive them back to God. They move from that transition to, you know, okay, you know, I, God's trying to get their attention. I think what John would be saying, if I'm going to apply that passage here to believers, John would be saying, look, um, don't, don't, don't pray for them that way to, to be healed it to go better um and, and that's a very very serious prayer david by the way uh, if you want to study this out sometime there's something called imprecatory prayers in the book of psalms where david prays for the destruction of his enemies and i know people who pray imprecatory prayers and I'm, I'm not one of them because i you know I, I have enough stuff of my own to deal with but um you know i know people who actually and you go is that you mean that's in the bible yeah it's in the bible and so you say, okay, so what does the whole thing mean for you? All right. If you put a gun to my head and said, choose one or die, you know, I'd probably choose the one that says, this is unbelievers who are, who are apostate, who have turned their, their way away from the truth. But I think I can make a really strong argument for the second one, for the idea of this is to believers who... I've committed or are committing a sin unto physical death. I think I can make an argument either way. Here's the point. 
Doesn't matter. Because the focus of this passage is not the unpardonable sin. The focus of this passage is prayer and who we pray for and how we pray for them. That's the focus of the passage. Don't lose the, the little one in, in, in context of a big one. And I think that's the lesson for us this morning. So here, 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 here is my takeaway from us, for, for us. First of all, let's understand that prayer is for believers. Now, that may sound really simplistic, but you need to know we live in a culture in which that is not true. We live in a culture now where it is becoming popular to gather people together around causes and say it's going to be a prayer time. And, and sometimes people wonder, why don't we as a church get involved in stuff like that? Here's why. Because I know what that faith teaches and I know who they're praying to. I know what that faith teaches and I know who they're praying to. I don't know who that faith teaches and who they're praying to. And I don't know that I want to jump in there and go, this is a prayer meeting and we all are just praying to whoever. Because see, to me, prayer is a thing that, this is the assurance that we have. Notice, I write these things that we believe. So he said, first of all, I'm writing to believers who believe in that you may know you have eternal life and that you have confidence that you can go before God. So who I pray with is kind of a big deal to me. Because I want to make sure we're praying to the same God. And prayer is something that believers do. Often I'm asked. Okay? If you, you listen carefully. Often I'm asked and I have opportunities to pray in front of groups in which there are believers and non-believers because we're in a culture which still allows that. If you listen very carefully, I always end my prayers the same. These things we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want them to know who I am praying to. Not just a prayer, bless this food. And let's also understand this. Prayer is nothing more than a conversation with God. I get people say, you know, I just can't pray in public. I understand that fear of speaking in public is the number one fear. People fear it more than death, actually. It's like, speak in public? No, kill me. You know, um, I'm I'm easier with that one than speaking in public. I get that. I get that. But you know what? I'm not speaking. Have you ever wondered? Let me ask you something. Have you ever wondered why I could say the things that I say with boldness from here? Because, I mean, I'll I'll go home and I go, I can't believe I said that. (laughs) You know, Um, I can't believe, you know, couldn't you have been a little softer on that? No, no, you know why? Because when I stand up here every, every Sunday, my prayer is the same. God, you speak through me. You lead me to the things to say. You keep me away from things that I don't need to say. And Lord, you let me say what you want me to say, not what I want to say. And honestly, folks, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about going in, into God confidently and saying, God, this is, this is what's going on. This is my struggle. This is what I want. And he says, you can have that kind of confidence. So a simple thing, but you know what? Prayer is for believers. Here's the second thing. Prayer has to be according to the will of God. So that assumes a whole bunch of stuff, folks. It assumes things like this. It assumes that I desire to walk according to God's word. David said it this way in Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God won't hear me. You get that? If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I regard sin in my heart, if I'm going, Lord, you know, 
Man, I, all right, here we go. Um, yeah, sit down on this one. Uh, here we go. If you're living and practicing sin, you can pray, but you're wasting your time. God might hear you, he might not. He doesn't obligate himself to if that's the way you're living. You hanging on to your sin? Hang on to it. Just don't expect God to hear you. Guys, you ready for this? One of the most, uh, one of the most convicting verses in all of the Bible to me. Guys, if you don't treat your wife right, you're wasting your breath praying. The Bible says God doesn't hear you. You say, wait, 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 that passage says I can go with confidence. Yeah, according to the will of God. That assumes that I'm walking in the will and the plan and the word of God. See, think about it for a minute. If I'm saying, God, okay, God, you tell me to be this kind of husband, this kind of husband, I'm going to be able to walk in your will. And, and Lord, this is what I need from you. This is what I want from you. God says, okay, no problem. It's just a matter of timing. If I'm going, God, you tell me what you want, and that's, that's what I want to do. God says, great. It's, it's a great conversation back and forth between me and God. Think about it for a minute. You know, I, my wife and I, one of the reasons we have a good relationship is because we actually communicate. We actually talk. It's like one of our favorite things. How was your day? And she comes home, and she tells me about her day. And she goes, how was your day? I tell her about my day. And then we go make supper. Um, or it's already there. Uh, we talk. Yeah, That's all prayer is. Talking with God, talking with God every day. Um, texting God, if you will. Facebook posting God. Whatever you want to call it, it's communicating back and forth with God. And John, and, and John says, look, you ask it according to God's will? Think about it for a minute. Mom, Dad, those of you who are parents, don't you love it when your kids come and talk to you? Oh, one of our favorite things right now, we're in, that, <laughs> we're in that really great time to be parents where they're out and they come in and they go back out. Um, we're, we're at that point in our, in our marriage deal. So it's, it's kind of one of the things, and here's what we're finding. It's crazy, but now they come over and they want to talk. And the other day, they wanted to talk so much, we finally goes, look, your mom has got to go to bed. You know, we love having you here, but good night. Um, you know. Move, and they were, you know, I mean, Josh and Alex were over, and they wanted to show us her ring, and they wanted to show us the pictures, and, and we were excited because we didn't get to do it. Let me tell you something, by 9 o'clock, it was like, hey, your mom's going to bed, you know? Uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those deals, but it's one thing where we love to talk and listen to what's going on in our life and, and find out what, what they're struggling with and, and what the new issues are and, and all of that. God wants the same thing from you and I. He wants to know what's burdened in your heart. And I'm convinced that prayer often is just kind of like talking to somebody else. You know, we get together again. My wife and I, you know, we get together with our friends, and we've noticed this last couple times. Our schedules have gotten crazier, and it used to be we'd get together every Friday night. Now between their schedule and our schedule, it's been hit or miss for the last three or four months. So sometimes it'll go two or three weeks before we get together. 
And uh, normally we play cards. But now we're down to like one card game a night because we find ourselves putting the cards down, sitting around talking. And talking about everything. Why? Because that's, that's how we grow. That's how we develop the relationships. And that's what God wants from you. God wants to hear that stuff. God wants to help. He's dying to help. But he's not going to help if, if you're standing back and saying, God, I love you, but I'm going to go do my own thing. God, I love you, but I still want to hold on to my sin. Yeah, I understand my sin took Christ to the cross. I understand all that. But you know what? It, I, I really like it. He said, look, you've you got to realize that. He says, when you and I are walking according to the will and plan and purposes of God, man, God's, God's in heaven like that parent going, man, just come on over. Let's talk. I want to hear what's going on. And he ends it this way saying this. You know, he deals with that whole sin on the death thing. He's saying, look, I, I think here's what he's saying. Look, there's some things you're... There we go. Battery might be on for a few more minutes, or I flipped it off. One of the two. Um, All right. Oh, whoa. Welcome to the dark side. No, uh, okay, I can't preach from here. This is so confining. Uh, but anyway, I'll try. I'll pretend it's a funeral. Uh, uh, the only time you'll ever see me stay behind a pulpit, because, you know, people get nervous when you start walking around caskets. Uh, but, um, I mean, you know, where was I going with this? Oh, I know. Um you know, I get people going, you know, well, I don't know. You know, I should pray. Look, you don't, I, I tell these people, look, you don't have to pray about it. The Bible is really clear. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't do it. It's really simple. It's a really simple. You don't have to pray about stuff. You know, well, I'm trying to decide. I'm praying about whether or not I should help my neighbor. Really? Let me solve it for you. Save your breath. Go help them. You know. Well, you know, I'm praying that my spouse would change. Really? Here, let me help you out. You change first. Then they may not have to change. You may find out the problem is you. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Yeah, try it. That's what I found out in our marriage. I thought the problem was my wife. And I realized, no, no, I was the problem. Changed me. All of a sudden, she became perfect. Look, James is saying, look, or John is saying, look, folks, you and I have confidence. But I think he's saying, look, there's some things you don't need to pray for. That person who knows the truth, who has been in, around the truth, like Judas, who has been surrounded by the truth, I don't really need to pray. Because they know what they need to do. It's clear. I think John was burdened for maybe some of the people who had uh, the people who had left, and everybody's like, "Oh, we should pray for them. We should try to get them back." You know, I know they were false teachers, but maybe they didn't. no, 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 no. John's saying, "Look, just move on." 
Be careful how you pray. Be careful how you pray. And notice what he says. He ends this. I think it's great. How does he end it? By saying, look, all wrongdoing is sin. He's saying, if you think you're going to take a pass because it's like, well, I'm not doing any of that really bad stuff. He goes, no, 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 no. All wrongdoing is sin. Don't forget that. Your sin, my sin, it's what put Christ on the cross. It is not something to ever be treated lightly. And John says, so when you pray, make sure you deal with that. Make sure you deal with your heart. Because it's a serious thing to go in the presence of an almighty God. And here's the great thing. You and I are offered as believers. No matter what happens in your life this week, no matter what, at any moment, at any time, you can walk into the presence of God. You can, you can dump all of your stuff and then go on. You can let God deal with it so it's not yours to carry all week. And John says, that's the confidence you and I have as believers. And I think sometimes we go through an entire day without talking to God. And I can't imagine going through a day without talking to my wife. And my relationship with God should be so much more. So I end it with this. John reminds us that we can have confidence in our prayer life. We can come boldly into his presence and ask whatever's important to our hearts and in our lives. If we live obediently and according to his will, he hears us and he answers according to his timing and his plans. Let's trust him. Let's get our lives in line with what he wants. And then let's watch him work as only he can. Let's pray. Lord, use us, guide us, direct us. Father, we take so lightly the opportunity that we have to come into your presence. And this morning, Lord, as we do, we ask that we would examine our own hearts, that we would look at our lives. That, Lord, we would be the kind of people you want and desire for us to be, and that, Lord, you would guide and direct. And, Lord, the request, the answer, the things that, that we have that are heavy on our heart, that, God, you would use and work. And, Lord, as we pray, may you bend our will to yours. And may we walk closely with you in all we say and do this week, and you be honored with our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together.